just feel like there has to be something more. I'm going to ask this question one last time in the midst of this series that we are in as we're wrapping things up today. What do you really want? We've been talking about that for the past couple of weeks. This is the final week of the series, and um, I've really enjoyed getting to prepare um, this message because it's, it's actually caused me uh, to reevaluate or evaluate things in my life, and hopefully it has for you as well as I think about, okay, wait a minute, how, like, how do I spend my time, my energy, my resources, where is my focus, what are the things that I'm pursuing, and are they in line with what I really value or what I really find most important? Um, and as a, a Christian or a follower of Jesus, then I go a step further and be like, wait a minute, do the things that I value and the things that I find important, are they the things that he values, what he finds important? And so, uh, I don't know, it's been good for me in that way. Hopefully it has been for you as, as well. And the heart kind of behind this series has been looking at this difference between the things that we want versus what we really want or ultimately want. Like there's the things that we think, I want that and I got to have that and it's kind of temporal and it's temporary and then there's the, and it's like, here's what the world says you should want. Here's how, this is what will make you happy. And there's those things that we go after in the moment, but so often we find ourselves later going, yeah, that wasn't really I wanted. That didn't satisfy in the way that I, I thought I would, but there's those things that are a little bit deeper. But it's like, there are those things that we ultimately and finally want. And, and as we kind of talked about last week is, there's really, believe it or not, and we don't necessarily think so at first, that what we ultimately want and what God wants for us is not that far off. We looked at this passage that's famously known as the fruit of the Spirit, and we said if, if God could like give you, like, like if he would force you to say, this is what I want for you, this is what it would look like. For you and I to be people defined by love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. He's like, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to experience those things, like receive from me, and then be the kind of person that those things just flow out of. That's what God wants for us. And if we're being honest and looking at life, like, yeah, that sounds pretty good. I want to be a person that knows those things, that experiences those things, that is known for those things, a person defined by those things. And the, the, the challenge is what leads us to that kind of life, what God would have for us, is, is often, in, again, it's in conflict, in tension with the things in the day-to-day that we think, I want that. I gotta have that. And the things that we want in the day-to-day that are like, I want that, I gotta have that, are, are, are primarily located in what the, the New Testament would refer to as the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of the world. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But, but here's the reality of the kingdom of the world with this conversation that we're talking about, is the kingdom of the world can never give you and me the things that we ultimately want. It, it can try, and we can think, ah, that's it, I've got it. And then it's, it's fleeting and it's gone. And, and when we talk about the kingdom of the world, the way that uh, the New Testament talks about the kingdom of the world, it's this idea of it's just the world that we live in. It's the air that we breathe. It's the age that we live in. It's the systems and the structures and the patterns and the themes. It's kind of like, well, this is just what everybody does. And this is just how things are. And this is just the way things are. This is how people operate. And this is, this is how it is. And the, the kingdom of the world has looked different and looks different in different cultures around the world. And it's looked different at different points in history, throughout world history, but it always shares some like underlying principles that oftentimes kingdom of the world uh, thinking is defined by like a a self-centered kind of heart 
where it's like, what's in this for me and my group and my tribe? And man, I will, it doesn't matter what, who I have to step on or what I have to do. I want what's best for me. Kingdom of the world thinking is often wrapped up in the idea of a, of a power struggle. It, it's wrapped up in the idea of indulgence, just like I am going after emotional high, like I want to be on 10 all the time, just do what feels good. Kingdom of the world often plays out in an us versus them kind of mentality. And when we live in that space, we don't ever end up with the things that God wants for us and the things that we deeply desire, like on a soul level. I think there's probably two words that describe kingdom of the world in our current context um, in, in the iteration that we find ourselves in. And I would say it's kind of upgrades and experiences. Like we're told like this is what life is about. Newer, better, bigger, shinier, like upgrade, 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 and experiences. Just again, it's this idea of just going after this kind of emotional high all the time. Do what feels good. Just satisfy yourself, whatever that looks like. Upgrade experience, upgrade experience. And there's nothing wrong with those things in, a, in and of themselves. It's okay to have nice things. It's okay to want to wanna like have like good experiences that are memorable, but when the pursuit of those things become the primary pursuit in our lives, so often we get hold of those things and find out, I'm not satisfied. It isn't what I thought it would be. The deeper things of my life haven't been touched because what we ultimately want, and we know this, it can't be packaged, it can't be sold, it can't be bottled up, it can't be, it can't be marketed. Like what we really want exists on like a soul level, something deep to the core of who we are and not just, not just what we do, but who we're becoming. The world around us focuses a lot on just what you do, what you do, what you do. But Jesus steps into the picture and says, okay, like I, I want to speak into your life in, in a way that nobody else and nothing else does. I want to talk about like you at the deepest part of who you are, who you're becoming, that soul level, like what do you want, what satisfies? And so that's what we've been looking at. And we're going to continue that as we wrap up this conversation today uh, by looking at something that the Apostle Paul has said. And we've looked at several things by Paul in this series. Uh, and he's going to give us something that um, it's going to give us some handles as we wrap this thing up to say, like, let's keep this in mind as we evaluate the things that are most important and pursue that uh, in life. And so, uh, you know, Paul is writing a letter that we're going to look at to the church in Rome. And so he's writing this mid-first century, somewhere in the 60s AD. There's Jewish Christians, there's Gentile Christians. They're trying to figure out, like, how do we do this Jesus thing together? How do we figure out faith? How do we, like, live this thing out? And Paul's going to write them, and he like, writes all kinds of incredible, incredible things. But he's going to give us something that if we embrace, it will it'll develop a habit in us of saying, what's really most important? What is really most important as a follower of Jesus? So we're going to jump in. We're jumping in like mid-letter. This is Romans chapter 12. We're only going to cover two verses today, but we're going to like pick them apart uh, and then wrap it up at the end. So Romans 12, starting in verse 1, Paul says, therefore... I say amen, therefore, right? That's a good word, pastor. No, we're stopping there because therefore is really, uh, it's really important. It's how he sets this thing up. Now, we're gonna have a pop quiz. You didn't know that you are gonna be tested here this morning. If you were here for the first week of this series, we came across the word therefore in that week as well. I think it was the first week. <laughs> I could be wrong. And, and I, I said, there's this kind of, there's this little statement and it's a little corny and cheesy, but it, it helps us to remember things that, that whenever we come across the word therefore when we're reading, especially in scripture, we should ask a question. I said, whenever we see the word therefore, we should stop and ask, what's it? Oh, I'm so proud of you guys. Way to go. Yeah, you should stop and go, wait a minute. What's it therefore? Because therefore is a hinge point in, in an idea. It says, hey, in light of everything that was said before this, 
in, in light of what I've been talking about and these ideas, now I want you to respond. I want you to react. I want you to do something uh, that's being informed by everything that came before. And so Paul is going to do that here, but it's more than just what came in the prior sentences or the prior verses. The Apostle Paul often has a, a, a pattern to um, the letters that he writes to the churches where the first part of the letter is about doctrine and belief, where it's like, here's, here as a, as a Christian, here's what you should think and how you should see the world. And so he'll be like, this is something that's true about God, something that's true about Jesus, something that's true about humanity, something that's true about the scriptures, and, and here's what you should believe and how it should shape your thinking and your belief. That's the first part of his letters. And then he'll go, and now, because that's true, here's what you do with it. Here's how you live. It's kind of like the so what. Like, hey, he, here, these things are true. Believe these things. So what, Paul? Well, so what? You, you do this. You live this out. You, you respond in this way. And this is kind of that hinge point in his letter to the Romans. But Paul's letter to the Romans is uh, considered like his, his most in-depth, thorough, like theological work when it comes to belief and doctrines. And he spends the first 11 chapters just going like deep into stuff that's like, my, my head hurts because Paul is brilliant. He is super smart. And like the way that he writes and reasons, it's like, it's like he's, he's a religious leader. So he's got the, the Jewish law down, but then he kind of reasons like a lawyer and he talks like a philosopher and he brings all these things together. And you're like, Paul, slow down, dude. Okay, like let's keep it simple. But essentially through those 11 chapters, Paul's like, okay, here we have this idea of the Jewish people. And, and, and God was doing something through them. And we got Jewish Christians in this church. And so what's the value of being a Jew? And Paul's like, oh, it's very, very valuable because the patriarchs came from, uh, from the Jewish people and the Messiah came from the Jewish people. But now we've got these non-Jewish people, these Gentiles who've been grafted in or brought in. So, so what, 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 what exactly do we do with that? And Paul's like, here's, here's, here's what you need to know. That Jews, Gentile, doesn't matter who you are, everybody's messed up. Like, we've all got issues, we've all got junk, we've all got, he says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he's like, let me talk to you about the Jewish law and its purposes, because Jesus came to fulfill that, but it served as like a, a revealer to show us how broken and messed up we are. And then he goes and says, okay, so now I'm glad we're on the same page that we're all messed up. Like we all have our stuff that we bring. Nobody gets, gets to hold like high, like moral ground on anybody else. And, and that, that sin thing, he's like, well, here's the bad news. The payoff of sin, the result of sin, the wages of sin is death. Like sin kills things. It, it kills our relationship with God. It kills our relationship with others. It kills the relationship and the way that we, we relate to ourselves. It, uh, it kills opportunities. It, it kills our reputation. Like it just death, 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 death. And ultimately, sin kills us even physically and spiritually. We experience this separation from God. So he's like, we're all messed up. Bad news. We're all going to die. That's my translation of Paul's words to the Romans because sin kills things. He says, but here's the good news. Here's the gift of God. It's, it's eternal life. It's salvation. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He showed up and out of love said, you don't deserve it. You haven't earned it, but I love you. I'm going to die for you so you don't have to experience that death and that uh, effect of sin. And then there's this beautiful thing that he, he says in Romans 8. It's super famous. It's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, if you experience that love of Jesus, if you're in that, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Like nothing can take that away from you. And it's like, wow, Paul, this is sounding really, really good. So how do I get in on this Jesus thing? And he's like, ah, let me point you back to something in the Jewish scriptures. Let me tell you about a guy named Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. That's right, y'all are singing now. You're gonna have it in your head all day. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? I don't know this Father Abraham. Consider yourself blessed, okay? All right, just, you don't have to have that just on loop in your brain. But he's like, hey, so Abraham was this guy in the Old Testament that he's the guy when the world is messed up, when sin enters in, and God's like, here's how I'm gonna redeem and restore things. And he goes to this man named Abraham and says, Abraham, 
I'm going to do something for the whole world through you, through your family. I'm going to bless the whole world. Your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky and all the nations of the world will be blessed through you. And Abraham's like, just quick question. I'm an old man and I don't have any kids. Okay, so how exactly is this going to happen? And God's like, it's going to happen. And Abraham just is like, okay, if you said so, it's going to happen. And Paul says that you know, Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abraham was not righteous, but he believed God and God's like, boom, you're righteous now. So Paul's like, that's how faith in Jesus works. And so he goes through just unpacking like all of this. We are all messed up. The law reveals how messed up we are, but good news, God loves us and he's died for us and you can't be separated from his love and all you gotta do is have faith and trust like Abraham. That's like a really condensed version of the first 11 chapters of Romans. There's a lot more, but now he's like, therefore, in light of all of that. In fact, look at what he says next. He says, I urge you, like, this is, this is about as close as you can get to commanding someone without actually commanding someone. He's like, I'm not actually making you do this, but I am begging and I am pleading and I am urging you, brothers and sisters. So this is a, this is a family matter. It's for those of us that are followers of Jesus, Paul's like, I'm talking to you. I'm urging you. I want you to do something, but I want you to do it in view of God's mercy. He's like, I, I, I'm going to make an ask of you. I'm going to ask you to do something. But I want you to make sure you know where this request or what I'm urging you to do, what, what it is coming out of. The thing that I want you to have in mind uh, for what I'm about to say is the mercy of God, the love of God, the goodness of God. And you're like, well, Paul, Paul what do you mean God's mercy? He's like, see chapters 1 through 11. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about God's mercies. It's who he is and what he has done in the world. Because God is merciful, Paul's going to say, I want, I, want you, I want you to do something. And that perspective is so big for us as we try to navigate the world and figure out what does it look like to follow Jesus and, and how am I supposed to live this out? Because if you don't start from the, the, the right starting place, you'll never get to like where God wants us to be in this pursuit of a life following after him. And Paul says the starting point is in view of God's mercy. It's not, as many of us may have experienced or maybe still like wrestle with this idea, Paul does not say, hey, in view of God's judgment, in view of God's wrath, in view of hell, in view of God's I'm gonna get you, in view of, you know what, just be obedient because I said so. Paul says, no, 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 no. There's a, there's a place for those things. But the primary thing that shapes what you're going to do with your life as a follower of Jesus is in view of the love and the mercy of God. I want you to do something, but I want you to do something with that in mind. In view of God's mercy, brothers and sisters, I'm urging you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to offer up yourself as a living sacrifice. And we're like, Oh, it's kind of cool imagery. It's a little poetic. What was he talking about? Um, this would have like been a visual image to these Roman Christians, as the idea of of sacrifice was something that they all would have been familiar with. And so you've got uh, Jewish Christians that he's writing to who had a sacrificial system. They were familiar with sacrifice. Then you have a lot of pagan Christians as well that came out of the Greco-Roman world, and they're like, okay, and all of their religion involves sacrifice as well. That. Pretty much all ancient religion was very bloody. That there was an aspect, and it's like, here's an animal, right? And like, they just, it was like, okay, that was just a part of religious practice. And so they're like, whoa, Paul, you want us to do what? Paul's like, yeah, I want you to climb up on the altar and die. But he gives this caveat, though. He says, listen, it's a, 
It's a living sacrifice. So I'm not actually asking you to, to go and like physically die. There are going to be some things that you're going to have to die to. But this is not about, you know, a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice. Like Jesus is the final sacrifice. No more needs to be made. He has died for sin. It's atoned for. It's done. It's over. But now I want you to be a living sacrifice. The idea of I, I want you, I want you to surrender. I want you to surrender. I want you to die to you and give yourself to God. I want you to die to your wants and your wills and your desires and your plans and your dreams and trust that if you do that, it's going to be better. I want you to surrender. And and he says, I want you to surrender your bodies. Like the the surrender that needs to be made is is your whole self, not just our, our thoughts, but our actions. Like as humans, God has made us to be embodied creatures. There is not this nice, neat, tidy, like there's the physical and spiritual separation like sometimes we, we would like there to be. It's like, no, 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 like we are, we are embodied and so our faith in Jesus is an embodied faith. It's a faith that gets lived out in our thoughts, in our words, in our actions, in our attitudes, in the things that we say, the things that we do. It's an embodied existence, not just spiritual beliefs. Paul's like, I'm not, I'm not asking you to just surrender your beliefs or your, your spirituality to God. I'm asking you to surrender everything. Where, where your feet take you, what, what, your, what your hands and arms do, what, you, what you, your ears hear, what your eyes see, what your lips speak, like all of it, surrender it to God. Biblical scholar John Stott said it this way, and I thought he summed it up really well. He says, Christian sanctity shows itself in the deeds of the body. So we're to offer the different parts of our bodies not to sin as instruments of wickedness, but to God as instruments of righteousness. He's quoting um, what Paul wrote earlier in his letter to the Romans. And then our feet will walk in his paths. Our lips will speak the truth and spread the gospel. Our tongues will bring healing. Our hands will lift up those who have fallen and perform many mundane tasks as well, like cooking and cleaning, typing and mending. Our arms will embrace the lonely and the unloved. Our ears will listen to the cries of the distressed. Our eyes will look humbly and patiently towards God. Paul's like, that's what I'm talking about. Offer your whole self, all that you are. Surrender yourself to God. It's a living sacrifice. And you're like, Paul, that's, that's a really big ask, okay? Because there's something in me that rises up and says, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. Because I'm like, ah, it just seems, it seems unreasonable. Paul, that seems extreme. Like, you want, you want me to give my whole life. And Paul's like, I know, I know. But remember, remember what we said, that this is in view of God's mercy. That's the first thing to remember that, that you will never do this if you have a picture of an angry, vengeful, hateful God. It's like you know, you, your picture of God, the, the most perfect picture that you can get has been revealed in Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. It's like in view of that. Like that's the primary filter. And then he says, when you do this, when you offer up yourself, when you surrender yourself, this is holy. It means it's like set apart. It's pleasing to God. He says, this is your true and proper worship. The worship is just like our response to who God is. And he's like, you're true and proper. Now, uh, I am using the NIV this morning because I like the way that it renders these verses. Oftentimes, we'll use the CSB. CSB just goes with true here. Um, They're both good translations. They're trying to get at an idea of what Paul is communicating. So the NIV says true and proper, uses two words, but it's just translating one Greek word. And the Greek word that is being translated here is logikos. And we actually get an English word from this, would anybody care to venture to guess? Logic. Yeah. 
This is the word logic. It's reasonable. So when he says it's true and proper, he's like, in response to what God has done, like the thing that actually makes the most sense is for you to give your full self to him. Like in, in view of his love, his mercy, his goodness, what he's done for the world, what he has done for you, the rational thing, the logical thing is to surrender. If Jesus is in fact who he claims to be, he's God in the flesh, he showed up, he lived the perfect life, he died for us on a cross, he rose from the dead. He's like, if that's true, and he loves you like that, and that's the mercy that he's shown, the most reasonable thing you can do is say, okay, God, have my whole life. In fact, the thing that would be unreasonable would be to say, I believe all that's true, but nope, not doing anything. Paul's like this, he's like, in view of God's mercy, I want you to surrender. It makes sense. It makes sense. And and there's something in the context of what we're talking about with getting what we really want is that what we ultimately want, what we are on the search for, what we ultimately want is on the other side of us being fully surrendered. It's like what I'm looking for, what I'm searching for, what I want ultimately is on the other side of me being surrendered fully. And then I will find what it is that God wants for my life. And so he's been kind of big pictures, like this is what I want you to do. And now he's gonna get a little bit more practical and say, okay, here's how you do it. Here's how you do it. Verse two, do not conform to the pattern of this world. There's that idea of the kingdom of the world that we talked about at the beginning. He's like the pattern of this world, literally the translation, or the, the Greek says that, that don't be conformed to this age this present age, this age that's defined by death and darkness and pain and suffering, the age of like a world that is broken, that is falling apart, that is dying. Don't allow yourself to be shaped or molded or pushed into that kind of an image. There's a, there's a pattern, he says, to things. There's a philosophy, there's methods, there's strategies, there's, there's pictures, there's themes. It's, again, it's just, hey, this is the way that things are done. This is how we operate. This is what's normal. This is what we've decided is good or right or pleasing. This is how everyone thinks. This is how everyone else lives. This is what everyone else prioritizes. And Paul says, don't allow yourself to be, there's a mold. It's like you're being like pushed into it. You know, it's like, it's, like it's, it's, a, it's a conveyor belt. It's a, it's a factory production of humans and thought and where it's just like plopping out little human robots. This is how we think, this is how we live, this is what we do. Like when we went on our little trip to uh, uh, Georgia this couple of weeks ago, one of the places that we, we go, because we don't have one super close, is a Krispy Kreme when the hot now uh, light is on. Say amen, right? And they've got like the glass and you can see the assembly line of like the donuts coming around. It's like bloop, 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 bloop. And just, you know, glaze waterfall, right? Just, I mean, just streams of mercy never ceasing. Amen. Um, But it's like, it's just, and it puts them all out and they all look pretty much exactly the same. Sometimes they're a little oblong, but it's like, that's the picture. It's like the world is trying to produce humans that just, everyone looks the same and values the same things. And and if we're honest, we look at like the results of, of how people are doing and are we thriving and are we flourishing? Like the model is not working. And Paul's like, don't let yourself be pushed into that. Don't, don't go down the, as much as you want to. Don't go down the conveyor belt of, of the glazed waterfall. Don't do it. Don't do it. He says, instead, be transformed. Be transformed. And, and we're, I don't know why, but we're getting a little Greeky today. The, the word for transformed is the Greek metamorpho. It's where we get our word metamorphosis, implying that there's a process that's involved. The process of like being transformed is not like, all right, I'm a Christian, whoo, everything is great and it's just all, like, I'm good, I don't, have to, I don't have to do any more work from here on out. It's like, no, there's a, there's a lifelong process. There, it, it begins the moment you say, all right, I, I'm following Jesus. It doesn't end until you leave this earth. 
Like it's the whole time, this gradual over time, this refining, this, you know, two steps forward, one step back, 10 steps back, eight steps forward, like whatever it looks like. And it's just over and over. There's a gradual transforming process that takes place. He says, if you don't want to be conformed, you have to be transformed. And look at where he says it starts. By the renewing of your mind. He says that, that, that's the starting point for transformation. It starts with the way that you think. Making any kind of change doesn't actually begin with behaviors. If you've ever tried to do that, to just be like, I want this behavior to change, so I'm just going to grit my teeth and bear it. I'm going to make this behavior change, and you get like a couple weeks into it, and then you're like, well, that didn't work, because something else has to change first, the way that we think, the way that we see the world, the way that we, we view things. Change doesn't start with behavior. It starts with thinking, the way that you evaluate and understand the world, the lens through which you see things, the, the mental pathways, the thought patterns, because there, there's a way that our brains work. It's actually pretty fascinating that it's like certain bits of information we don't even have to think about anymore because we've already created like the, the, the patterns and the thought ways. And so it's like, oh, this equals this equals this, boom. And so we, we begin to develop the, those patterns and those thoughts. And Paul's like, we need to rewire some of those. We need to reroute and renew some of those. You've got to change the way that you think. As he's talking about, you know, the first verse, he's, you know, I want you to surrender your lives entirely. I want you to climb up on the altar and surrender yourself. That won't happen if you still think the same old way. Because if I'm still thinking the old way, it's like I'm not going to go, okay, God, this makes sense. I'm going, no, I don't want to do that. This is, this is hard. This is difficult. This is... I have to begin to see the world the way that God sees the world. What does he value? What does he prioritize? What does scripture say? What is the spirit speaking? What has is, what is Christian witness throughout history pointed us towards? I need to be molded into that, and then I'll surrender. I, uh, I love how um, Andy Stanley puts this. He's so good at like coming up with little one-liner pithy statements. Um, and on this, he says, when we begin to see as God sees, we'll be more inclined to do as God says. It's like when we begin to see the world through like the Jesus kind of, of lens of like, okay, God, wh- what do you say about... Uh, you know, family and marriage and sex and money and work and opportunity and friendships and purpose and all those things. Like, okay, what do you say about those things? And now I'm more likely to go, all right, I'm going to live my life in that direction, transformed by the renewing of your mind. And this is the issue for a lot of us, where it's like, this Christian thing isn't working. I'm, tr- I'm trying the Christianity thing. I keep trying to change. I keep trying to do things differently, but it's, it's not working. And that gets so frustrating and honestly, so like shameful sometimes to be like, I'm trying to do this and I keep failing at doing this and I, don't, I can't figure out why I can't do this. And it's not always the case, but oftentimes the reason we find ourselves in that place is because we try to change behaviors without ever changing the way that we think. We try to, to do, we, we want the transformation of a life without the renewing of our minds. It's, it's this idea of wanting different outcomes with the same inputs. And like that just doesn't work, right? It's like I want something to change on what, what's coming out of my life and what I'm experiencing, but nothing on the other end of what's, what's coming into my life is, is changing. And that doesn't, that just doesn't work. I mean, we think about inputs and, and outputs and like what, 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 is, what is it that's shaping our thinking? It, it's crazy. Um, I don't have the stats off the top of my head. Maybe you've seen or heard like the amount of information that humans now have access to compared to like a year ago, 10 years ago. It just like keeps exponentially growing and we're just bombarded with all this information at the same time and information is good, but do we ever stop and ask, wait, what is the information? 
And, and does, it, does it move me in the direction of Jesus or not? My mind has patterns and thoughts in the way I think. Are they being shaped by Jesus? Or is the way that I view the world more shaped by conservative politics or progressive politics or cable news or social media and TikTok or entertainment? And again, there's nothing necessarily wrong with those things, but sometimes we don't stop and realize, like, that's actually shaping the way that I think and the way that I see the world and the way that I view the world. And, and, and the idea is, like, wait, am I, is the voice of God louder in my life than those other voices and shaping the way that I think? Am I evaluating thing through that, things through that lens or through, uh, through something else? And I know just, like, from my own, and this is anecdotal experience, but... What, what I put into my mind, even if it's just small, it's just entertainment, it's, it's just it's this little one, it actually changes my behavior, right? Like I can tell you, like one of the things, I don't, I don't have mine up here because I'm actually detached for it for a few minutes, but my phone is right over there on that table. And it's like, man, that thing puts so many things into my brain and it does change my behavior. Like example, I can tell you if I get up in the morning and I spend too much time, okay, just confessions of a pastor, if I spend too much time scrolling through reels, that changes my, my thoughts for the day. I'm not as nice of a person a lot of times. I'm not as nice to my family. I don't have the right outlook on life. Like if, but if I start my day, I'm like, all right, you know, I'm gonna be in my Bible and I'm gonna pray today. I'm just like, okay, this is different because I changed what that input was. My, my mind was renewed in that moment. Um, I thought uh, N.T. Wright put this really well. He said, Christians need to stop letting the world around dictate its own terms and conditions. We must instead figure out how to think, speak, and act as is appropriate, not for the present age, but for the new age, which is already breaking in. Christians are called to be countercultural, not in all respects, as though every single aspect of human society and culture were automatically and completely bad, but at least in being prepared to think through each aspect of life. We must be ready to challenge those parts where the present age shouts or perhaps whispers seductively that it would be easier and better to do things that way while the age to come already begun in Jesus insists that belonging to the new creation means that we must live this way instead. And the key to it all is the transforming of the mind. Many Christians in today's world never come to terms with this. They hope they'll be able to live up to something like Christian standards while still thinking the way that the rest of the world thinks it can't be done. I was like, you got, you got to renew your mind if you want to see transformation in your life. And then he says, and here, here's the result of that. Here's the payoff. You do the hard work of renewing your mind. Don't conform. Have your, be transformed. Have your mind renewed. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Last bit of Greek for the day, I promise. Uh, what we're translating test and approve. Again, the NIV is using two words to communicate the meaning of one Greek word, dakizimo, uh, which means to make a critical examination of something. Uh, it means to discern something. It means like I'm, I'm looking at all the information, I'm taking it in, and I'm, I'm making a decision, I'm making a call based on the information. I'm putting it into practice. The idea is with a renewed mind, you'll be able in every situation, no matter what you find yourself in, no matter where life is at, when you're evaluating what's most important, you'll be able to go, okay, I can discern and put into practice and figure out what it is that God wants for me in this situation and how I carry myself and who I'm becoming. 
And you're like, okay, 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 but, but what, what, what does God's will look like? Because that's a question that we always answer. Like, I want to know exactly what God's will is. And we're like, if you can send me a text, God, you know, give me an email, something like that, that would be great. But he's like, no, no it's, it's more broad than that. There's lots of ways to be within God's will, but what you can always know about it is that it's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. It's good. That, that is, it's good for you. It's good for those around you. In the context of this series, it is what we ultimately want and what satisfies he says it's pleasing. Again, it's satisfying, it's fulfilling, and it's perfect. The New Testament word for perfect doesn't mean like without flaw. It means mature. It means grown up. It means that it will stand the test of time. It's like that's what God's will is, and that's where you will find yourself. All right. So we pick this thing all apart. Let's put it back together and wrap this thing up. He says, therefore, right, in light of everything I've just told you, I urge you, I'm begging you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, not, not his wrath or judgment or fear or anything like that, but in view of his love, his goodness, his mercy, I'm begging you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. I want you to climb up on the altar and give everything. I want you to surrender. This is your true and proper worship. This is the, the response to God that makes the most sense. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Don't be like everyone else, right? Like how everyone else thinks, what everyone else does. But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. And as a result, then you'll be able to test and to approve. You'll be able to figure out. You'll be able to put into practice. You'll be able to come to the right conclusions about what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. These two verses. This is like the process this is, this is what, what we, if we latch onto these things, go, okay, I want to make sure that what I find most important, that what I'm valuing really is what God is valuing. I want to make sure that I end up at a point in my life where I say, I didn't chase after the wrong things. Paul's like, if you will do this, this can set up your entire life. This will keep you in the will of God. This will keep you in what he wants for you. This is the process. We change our thinking. We be transformed. We surrender to God. Because what we ultimately want is on the other side of a full, submitted, and surrendered life to him. And he'll use it. He'll use, he'll use this kind of posture from us to reveal to us what's in us and remove some things from us that maybe are a little bit more in line with like kingdom of the world thinking. We start doing this and it'll be like, oh yeah, there's that thing, there's that view that I hold, there's that way that I see the world. And he'll begin to root that out of us. God will use this posture to, to reveal you know, what are the things that he values and what is he calling us to. And ultimately, it will reveal what he wants for us, which is what, he, what we ultimately want for ourselves, what we're created for, what we are made for, to know Jesus, to pursue him and find flourishing in that. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you so much um, that we can live our lives, experience our lives, see the world, operate in this place in view of your mercy in view of your love and of your goodness and of your grace and of who you are. And, and we, we have such a clear picture of that because of your son, Jesus, who showed us what it looks like to live in full submission to you, to show us what it looks like to love you, to love others, but most of all, that he died on a cross for our sins, rose from the dead to defeat the power of death once and for all. And we thank you for that. Um, because of that, we, we know that we can trust you. And I pray that in those moments when it is hard to surrender, that our eyes would be fixed on Christ. I pray that in our surrender, we would experience all that you have for us. God, give us just wisdom and boldness to go and, and to evaluate you know, where we need that transformation, where our thinking needs to change, that we would do the work to see it through, to experience all that you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.